much into the contest. It is Tuesday the 4th of May. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert. I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee, who has travelled north to Queensland. How are you? How's how's it going up there? Queenslander! Queenslander, yeah. I mean, beautiful Queensland. It's beautiful up here. And um, we're down by the water last night for a nice little dinner. So it's all good, mate. All good. Oh, romantic little time in Brisbane. Well, we've got Jaslyn Hewitt on. Ash Barty is flying at the moment. And, of course, Rob Gilbert, our editor-at-large, all over that Manchester United drama. That is on the way. <laughs> Now, Shane, uh, this is dramatic, what's happening, of course, in India with the IPL. Two players have now tested positive to COVID-19. The game uh, has been rescheduled but with Kolkata and Bangalore. But I tell you what, 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 what can happen here? It's almost going to turn it on its head, isn't it? Yeah, you, you would think so, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, two players in the Calcutta Knight Riders testing positive. That is the team that um, holds both uh, Pat Cummins and Ben Cutting from Australia and also uh, the England captain, Owen Morgan. So, look, it's really real big. This is real big issues for the IPL. And um, and I suppose, yeah, it's really, really hard. You're seeing that, that the um, COVID is rife outside of the IPL. It's now inside the change room, which is a real issue. Yeah, massive issue. Well, on a more positive front, Ash Barty is flying along as we head towards the French Open. We will get all the latest tennis news with Jaslyn Hewitt next. Time to talk tennis on Afternoon Sport and Ash Barty. Now, this run in towards the French Open is just getting better and better. It is time to talk to our tennis expert, Jaslyn Hewitt. She's good, isn't she, Jazz? Yeah, she's in great form. And I think all her leading tournaments have been showing that. And last night, she had an amazing win over former French Open champion, Iga Swiatek, which just shows that she is uh, in great form and playing on the dirt and getting ready for the French Open. Um, Osaka lost second round. She's sort of having an up and down year, isn't she? Yeah, it's interesting. She uh, she lost the number 20 in the world, Karolina Machova, which isn't ideal given that she is uh, number two in the world. However, mm. it is it is a lead up on clay. We've seen what Novak uh, Djokovic's results have been. Um, always these big players tend to peak and know how to play in the, in the majors. So I'm, I'm not overly worried probably not the leading that she would have liked to have. However, uh, she's the number two in the world for a reason. So I think just like Ash, they are peaking at the right times and, and they, they know how to play those big matches. Have you seen Ash play better? I know there's been the odd aberration, particularly in the last match where she, I don't know what happened, but she lost that second set 6-1 or 1-6, whichever way you want to term it. Yeah, well, it was a little bit interesting within that match. She actually got really frustrated with the um, uh, neck, uh, neck call on one of her serves. So it's very, it's a very temperamental system and you can now challenge if it's a service let or not. So uh <laughs> We are going away from your typical uh, lines people and, and officials on on the court. However, I think there's still a lot of holes in 
in the technology and what's actually going on there. So I, it does, it's a level base for everyone. Um, however, um, she did get a bit fiery in that match when she did lose a second set, but she'll now face uh, Petra Kvitova in the quarterfinals. Definitely going to be a tough match there, but given given the form she had against Iga uh, last night, she was she was outstanding. The way she's moving around the court, her feel on, the, on drop shots and her creativeness that she's got uh, is just what's setting her apart at the moment. Now, Jazz, you're, you're a mum and Timmy, you're, you're a dad. It makes it tough as a parent when kids see on TV, you can challenge everything now, can't you? It makes it really tough as a parent. <laughs> I'm not going to put that in the dishwasher, no. Let's go to the third umpire. <laughs> oh, I think that comes down to all kids today, don't they? They, they challenge everyone. They challenge the teachers. They challenge parents. It's just, it's just the times we live in. Now, I, I do want to talk about these young male players because the Australian contingent that is coming through is very, very talented and they're all in action. Well, lots of them are. No curious isn't, but the others are. No, so yeah, uh, Alexi Popperin had a, a great win through the qualifying rounds at Madrid this week as well. So he'll play the uh, German in his first round uh, later this evening. Uh, Jan Leonard Struff, and uh, we've got John Millman, the veteran out there. He's got a really tough first round match uh, against uh, Herbert Herczak. So that's going to be a tough one for him. However, we've got Alex Dimonar back out on court. So he had a fantastic first round win. He was down 6 4 and 4-2 and managed to uh, turn it around against Jorm Munaf. So that was an amazing fight back for him. And this is what I think we all love about Alex is just his competitive spirit. 6-4-4-2, anyone could just turn around and go, well, too hard, I'm already down, I'm down a break here. But no, he fights deep and that's what we love about him, his competitive spirit out there. Does Alex Dimonar's style suit Clay? I would think it, it might. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, he doesn't actually have that that good a record on the clay though. So mm. his movement on clay is, is very good. Uh, probably his weight of ball on his forehand uh, doesn't necessarily penetrate through the court well enough. Um, and I think that's where the quicker surfaces, given his um, speed around the court, he can um, take that ball that little bit earlier on on the hard court. However, he's got a great, great competitive spirit. His uh, fight out on the court and his fitness typically there is, is what holds him in good stead. So definitely a lot of, a lot of positives for him on the clay. I called Nick Kyrgios one of the young brigade, but he did turn 26 last week, but he's not playing tennis and I haven't seen much of Bernard Tomic playing tennis, but they can still make headlines. Nick is upset with what Bernard said. There's almost a, a reality show in all of this. Yeah, so Nick Nick celebrated his 26th birthday uh, last week, and it was it was interesting. Someone actually um, confused him with Bernard Tomic, and he got really uh, insulted after being uh, called Bernard. So it's interesting there that the former friendship has obviously gone sour, um, and I think the way that Nick is is holding himself and feels like he's uh, made a change and what his uh, results are on the tennis court and what he's doing with his foundation to help other uh, underprivileged kids. I think he's feeling like he's in a really good place at the moment, so he doesn't want to be uh, tarnished or labelled like Bernard. Well, no one would like to be compared to Bernard, that's for sure. Hey, um, now, now, Roland Garros, uh, larger crowds for the finals. They're expecting now 5,000 for the finals, which is which is exciting. Yeah, so they're still going to be in stage three of their restrictions when the tournament starts. So I think only about 1,000 uh, entries per day with the spectators, a lot different to what they had last year there. 
just given how many COVID cases they're still having on a daily basis. But no, they're looking at uh, opening up for uh, less restrictions uh, for the final five days. So that's going to be great for them and the French Federation at least to to have a a bigger crowd. You can see the crowds in Madrid this week um, and the players are loving playing in front of spectators again, especially after the the US stint where um, it was barren. But no, it's, it's exciting for Roland Garros to come through and be in a lot better position after the COVID crisis that they're having. Because there has been a few people in Madrid, hasn't there? Yeah, so only only a handful in each match and they're very um, scattered around. Um, yeah, I've been watching the matches on Fox still. So it's, it's interesting watching them all. Um, and I think that's the other level for the players is actually uh, entertaining a crowd. It's what they're used to. It's what they're there for. And, and to play like you're on a, a backyard court is not always the best uh, feeling, especially when you, um, you're in like a 10,000-seat stadium as well. Now, Jazz, any predictions for the French Open at this stage? What, what are your thoughts? Oh, well, looking at Ash Barty and her, her current run, it's it's hard to go against her. Um, I think the way that she's been playing, the form that she's in um, is, is really quite outstanding. On the men's side of things, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, as we said, Novak Djokovic's uh, recent form has been a little bit up and down. Um, those young guys coming through, teams, Verev, um, all these guys, is, is gonna, other than Medvedev, they're, they're going to challenge those guys. And uh, I think uh, Nadal and uh, Federer and Djokovic are definitely looking at that next crop of players that are coming through. So, um, no, on the men's side of things, I think it's going to be definitely tough to pick who's going to be on the holding up the trophy at the end of the week. But uh, given this stage and Ash's current run, um, it'll be hard to go against her. Well, the way she's rocking along the tennis court, we will no doubt be talking real soon. Thank you so much, Jazzy. Thanks, guys. Coming up on Afternoon Sport, our editor-at-large. I sit down with him in Melbourne, Rob Gilbert. Play Sport is calling Game On for a new way to play, a free platform to explore and be inspired to connect to thousands of sport, rec and well-being activities in your community. Just go to playsport.com. Play Sport, whatever moves you. Afternoon Sport, well, it's a special today because I'm in Melbourne and I'm with our editor-at-large, Rob Gilbert. How are you? Good, Timmy. How are you, mate? Good to have you down here. Yeah, good to be face-to-face. But uh, let's have a look at this from yesterday. It was an extraordinary scene. Manchester United, uh, talk about fan power. Talk about voting with your feet. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to put uh, everybody in the picture, we all know the Super League story blew up a couple of weeks ago. It uh, seemed to have died down a little, but the fans of the clubs who are, or were affected by this are still outraged. And in this particular incident, you had Manchester United. They were preparing to play at Old Trafford uh, against Liverpool. Now, Based on the result earlier on the weekend where Manchester City had beaten Crystal Palace, if Liverpool had beaten Manchester United, then City were going to be crowned champions. So what ends up happening is that there's a a crowd of several thousand people protest out the front of the ground, peaceful protest at this stage, but then some of them break through, mainly a group of younger guys, around 200 it's estimated, and some violence was done apparently to police. Um, There was some damage done to some, uh, some media gear and unfortunately, well, you can't say that it turned ugly, but the purpose of the demonstration, unfortunately, um, it, it lost 
some of its uh, credibility and luster because of, of the, the behaviour. Yeah, well, the game was abandoned, which is extraordinary for the EPL. And this is closely linked to the whole Super League thing, the American owners that they don't like. Yep. So the Glazer family we're talking about here, so they also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, reigning Super Bowl champions. We all know about that. And uh, and they were right in the middle of all this. And, and they weren't just one of the clubs that... that uh, were asked to join. They were prime movers in all of this. And you've got to remember that uh, 16 or so years ago when the Glazer family started staking up their interest in the publicly listed Manchester United, it was a debt-free club. So now it's got a, a, a half a billion dollar, half a billion US dollar debt. And uh, and the fans are just outraged that, uh, the, you know, the old Trafford, we call it the theatre of dreams. But uh, if you listen to the BBC and talk sport and some of the radio commentary around it, you know, some of the fans are saying that, 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 that money's not being spent on the facility it's not what they expect it to be that they they uh, don't believe that the club is run by people who have any passion for the nearly century and a half tradition of that great club and uh, they were using this as an opportunity to uh, to really make as you said Timmy before um, the, the the voice of the fans heard so uh, this is one of the biggest sporting fixtures in the world Manchester United versus Liverpool and uh, to have it postponed because of, of ongoing outrage uh, there will be more to come from this no question yeah, we touched on it with Corey McKernan yesterday, who's a big Man U supporter, uh, as you know, the two-time Premiership player with North Melbourne. But it's been an interesting human case study, hasn't it? The whole thing, um, when this story blew up and, and basically the flame went out just a couple of days later, uh, largely because of the fans and the people and their reaction. Yeah, it did. And and what, what we're seeing here is uh, the the ongoing outrage is still simmering that, uh, that as the rest of the world drops off the story, the fans knew that if they made a big enough noise at Old Trafford, that it would stoke the fire again. It's more like, how dare you? How dare you do this to us? Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. It's uh, it's one of those things where for, for anybody who's, who's been to... Uh, some of these uh, seminal grounds of uh, English football, you, you truly understand the nature of what these clubs mean to these people. It is their lives. And uh, you know, as we know in uh, in AFL, Rugby League, uh, Rugby Union, all of the sports in Australia, there are people that are equally passionate. But uh, in terms of the volume of their numbers and the, and the, and the, the history over time, uh, you know, some sports around the get world get close, but uh, none are. Uh, no, the, no fans are more passionate than the ones that um, follow the Premier League clubs. Okay, a couple of other subjects quickly. The A League, um, we saw Central Coast a draw yesterday, but Melbourne victory. Melbourne victory starting to perform better. They beat the Wanderers the other day, and the Wanderers beat Sydney FC on the weekend. Yeah, I think it's a bit of an indictment on the playing list. To be fair, that um, you know under Grant Brebner they weren't able to take a trick, but suddenly he gets sacked, and uh, Tony Popovich exactly comes out and. Uh, uh, and he's um, named as the the new coach by the uh, the chairman Anthony Di Pietro, and the club, the players start to perform on the field. So where were they when the club legend, who 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 was drafted in to take the role uh, when he needed them? So I think if, if I was Grant Brebner, I'd be pretty filthy about um, the the, um, the the change in fortune of these players who are clearly playing for contracts and for for their for their own future when it suits them. 
Yeah, it's close though, isn't it? The the competition. Uh, Central Coast starting to wobble a bit. Uh, the Wanderers were that win over Sydney FC in the derby was extraordinary. So reasonably congested when you look at it. Yeah, it still is. You've got uh, clubs like Brisbane Raw who are still outside of the uh, six with a game in hand, 17 games compared to the Central Coast to a 20. But you know, Central Coast, even though they are wobbling, they've had three draws and two losses in their last five matches after they led the table. It looks like Manchester City, Manchester City, Melbourne City, owned by Manchester City, of course, are going to win the Premiership uh, ultimately. But I think um, Central Coast will still, if they can just get a little of their mojo back running into the finals, we might see uh, some sort of... uh, uh, representation of the entire season that they've had in the finals. I'm not saying that they'll go on and win the grand final, but uh, but with Adam LaFondra coming out of quarantine soon, Sydney FC, you've got to watch out for them. Adelaide United and even MacArthur, uh, you know, that's another story altogether. They haven't had the, uh, the success in the stands that we would have hoped uh, that a, a new club would have had, but they're, they're getting uh, good results under Ante Milicic um, on the park. So, uh, you know, we'll probably play finals if they can keep their current momentum and, of course, Western United under Mark Rudan, and the, the Western Melbourne side. Well, just finally, we've just finished off a lovely little flat white in Melbourne. Coffee and food down here is just extraordinary. I've got to mention the Melbourne Demons because the last time they played in the grand final, you and I went to it together 20 years ago. Seven matches in a row. I know we've mentioned it a few times, but this is becoming more real by the day. Yeah, yeah. So for Melbourne fans, let's put it into context for people who aren't as familiar. But so back in 1964, when they won their last premiership, Robert Menzies uh, was the Prime Minister and just announced the reintroduction of national service. Uh, you had the Beatles touring Australia. Dawn Fraser was going to the Tokyo Olympics that year. We know what happened there after she climbed the flagpole, but she was actually named Australian of the Year. Um, you had uh, Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston and went on to change his name soon after in March of that year to uh, Muhammad Ali. But Timmy, this is one specially for you that uh, Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was published. And if anybody knows Timothy Gilbert, they will certainly know that uh, amongst his many passions that uh, Willy Wonka, Charlie, you can call it whatever you like, he just adores the work of the great Roald Dahl. Well, that that leaves us with a beautiful quote, and I know that I'll be chastised by many, but I'd still love the original movie of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Gene Wilder said, we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. And that's quite appropriate for the Melbourne Demons right now. That is exactly where I was thinking as you were going with that, Timmy, that the Dreamers of Dreams, 1964 under Norm Smith. Uh, we talked about the controversy last week. We might touch on it again in future, but it's a, it's a great story that's emerging for uh, the uh, the team known as the, the Red Legs, the Fuchsias. They're now the Demons. Uh, uh, look, it, uh, it's a little early to say that they're going to go all the way, but they're in the middle of it and uh, and it, it might just be one of those uh, drought-breaking seasons that we all love to watch uh, in any sport. Thank you for lending your spare room. Let's go and have a sandwich down in uh, Chapel Street. Sounds good to you. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Follow us on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Jaslyn Hewitt and Rob Gilbert. Thank you, of course, to our sponsor, Spartan Sports. Yes, our sponsor, Spartan Sports, www.spartansportshq.com. And the great man, our producer, Dan McHugh, will be back tomorrow afternoon with your daily dose of sport. We'll see you then, guys. Take care.